As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Since the era of Jurgen Klopp, Borussia Dortmund have been a byword for fragility and flakiness in Germany. Heartbreak, heartbreak at the death for Dortmund. Before today, they held all the cards, but those cards torn and tattered with their title dreams. But after back-to-back wins over Newcastle in the Champions League, there are signs things are changing. Brand goes alone and finishes 2-0 to Dortmund. Newcastle United stripped bare on the counter. So how does the club, revered for their yellow ball, keep rebuilding after losing their best players year on year? I'm Ayoki Molare. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. We've got the Athletic's German football writers, Raphael Honigstein and also Seb Stafford-Bleu, as well as a really special guest, a former Bundesliga striker, Jan Agerfjortoft. So good to have you all with us. Uh, Jan, let's start with you. Um, and I know we're going to go into Dortmund, of course, but I, I have to talk about Harry Kane. I have to talk about a striker that seems to have lit uh, the Bundesliga up. And yet again, we saw in Der Klassiker. Harry Kane! It is a hat-trick of hat-tricks in the Bundesliga already. Are you surprised by how quickly he has settled into the Bundesliga? We know what he's done in the Premier League. We know he's the captain of England. But the Bundesliga, it's a different beast. It is, absolutely. But now when you when you know the skills that Harry Kane have on and off the pitch, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you can think of it this way. If England or UK wanted to send one ambassador to Germany and say, make our country proud, go to Germany, win every soul in whole Germany, because this is not German football, they love mm. Harry Kane. He's the most humble guy in there. He's polite. He takes time for the press. He got a self-irony being English in, in Germany. I mean, this is the biggest hit you've seen in Germany since the Beatles were in Hamburg before their career took off. He's unbelievable. And then we haven't even started what he's doing on the pitch. He's scoring goals for fun, of course, doing assists. But it's a, a, one thing that's a bit underestimated He's making the players around him, like Leroy Sané or Muziala, much better. They develop. They have someone to play on. They have someone that will keep the ball for them. I don't think that it's a coincidence that Leroy Sané 
look more constant uh, con uh, in his performance than he's ever done before. So Harry Kane has taken the, uh, this country with a storm. Yeah, Seb, 15 goals, five assists in 10 games in the Bundesliga. I, I mean, we know he's good, but this is a fantastic start. Yeah, I think it surprised people even at Bayern. I, I spoke to Jamal Musiala after the game on Saturday night. And one of the questions we asked was, is he better than you realise? And he said, yes. Like he said, obviously he was aware of his goal scoring and, and his contributions directly around the penalty box. But he said that his contributions deep in his eye in the middle third of the pitch and his willingness to work hard for the team when perhaps they don't have the front footing in a game has, has really surprised him. And just to pick up on Jan's humility point, we were obviously, we were waiting outside in the mix zone and Kane comes out after probably his best performance for Bayern. He's got, he's got his hat-trick ball in a plastic bag as he steps onto the Bayern Munich team coach. There's no affectation with him. And I, I think one of the things that people seem to have really gravitated towards is what you see with Harry Kane is kind of what you get. There's no image. It's just hard work. He's a family guy. There's no controversy. He is 100% about performance and improvement and the team. And look at the sort of the body language of some of those Bayern players after games and the way that especially the traveling fans react to him. I think there's a lot to, to be said for kind of how he's extended himself to be part of those team dynamics and what he's willing to give rather than just to be a penalty box player, which wonderful player though Robert Lewandowski was and continues to be. I think that was one of the knocks against him. He was about the penalty box. He was more of a pure number nine, whereas Kane even is, he's a team component. Yeah, yeah, and I was just thinking uh, in terms of a team like Bayern Munich, uh, to be able to take England's captain and bring them to the Bundesliga, there's got to be an element of, I guess, smugness, but proudness to say, yeah, this is us. We've done this and we've taken him away from the Premier League. Yes, and that is very significant. And not only did they get England captain, this is also a, a brand for the German Bundesliga because you may argue that this is one of the great designing Bundesliga have done from abroad in terms of which level the player is when he came. Yes, we got a, a, a Robin, we got a Ribéry, but they were not that the superstars when they came in. Yes, Alonso. Alonso has always been on the peak of his career, you feel, but 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 you get the captain of England. And also in a time when when a Sancho, Bellingham leaving, Haaland leaving, for, 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 uh, so they're leaving the league. So this was very important for them. They have also had great targets here to, to make the Bundesliga known around the world where they are obviously struggling because the, the Premier League is so popular. So this was, that was a great, great move for the whole German football. Yeah, Jan, you should come on the pod podcast again because you've nicely segued me into our conversation on Dortmund. You've dropped Haaland, you've dropped, <laughs> you've dropped Bellingham in there. Let's bring Rafa in um, for, for this one. Um, Rafa, 2-0 winners against Newcastle. You predicted this 2-0 win. Why were you so confident? Confident because I felt Dortmund and their defeat against Bayern wasn't a true reflection of where they are as a team. They've been incredibly consistent. There's been three teams that have beaten them this calendar year. One is Bayern, one is PSG, one is Chelsea. You can argue whether Chelsea or Newcastle are a better team, but Newcastle are not at Bayern's level. And Dortmund did already in the first deck show that they can live with a team like that and can expose them in a way that Arsenal, for example, couldn't. The amount of chances that they created. They, of course, conceded some chances and there were some nervy moments, but I felt that at home and with the confidence that came from beating Newcastle at St. James's, that Dortmund can do it. And they did it. And they did it um, with a degree of souveraineté, as we say in, in Germany. A style, a swagger, a, a self-confidence that isn't always 
super evident about this Dortmund team. But I think they have it this year. And the fact that they did it after that 4-0 defeat at home to Bayern shows to me that uh, some of the question marks that we had about their resilience, their mentality, their togetherness are being answered uh, in the affirmative. Yeah, I was just thinking about um, often the gay sports fans have, right? So if you say you're from the Premier League or you're a Premier League fan, you're looking at all the big money that's come into Newcastle and you're thinking, oh, this is, you know, this is a team that's disrupting, you know, the the narrative of the Premier League and perhaps people underestimate Dortmund. But how big a a result is this for Dortmund, Seb, um, in terms of the development of this team? I feel like it offered a really quick correction. I, I think Saturday night was interesting because obviously the main story was the power and balance performance. It then quickly became the confrontation between between Thomas Tuchel and Noto Mateus after the game. That kind of seized the narrative. And I think it directed people away from some of the flaws in the, in the Dortmund performance, um, particularly midfield. But this was something that's been building for a while. Like I think Edin Terzic, for a long time, the accusation was he relies upon individual power within his sides, like in, individual influence, whether that be Holland or... Um, Jude Bellingham last season I think what we've seen this year so far and certainly has been behind the the sequence of results that Rafa mentioned is a bit more calm a bit more measured a little bit more tactically focused a little bit more you might even say boring I think you we still associate Dortmund with kind of very bombastic football very emotional football and I think we've seen a lot more now than Dortmund like last night for instance they were happy to see possession there was a real authority to the way that they sat behind the ball and defended and also to some of the attacking moves that they created. Clearly, there have been a lot of homework going into where Newcastle's weaknesses were. Marcel Sabitzer was hugely influential, which is probably the first time you might say that this, this season, probably. And so I, I think it kind of, it focuses again on some of the strength that maybe Edin Terzic was presumed not to have prior to this season or prior to the beginning of this run in 2023. May I jump in? Because that is so much praise of Dortmund now. I mean, uh, I, yes, I saw the two games and I think that especially the game at St. James's as well, I think they played very wise. They were intelligent kind of play. For those of us who love both leagues, and I'm a big fan of the Premier League, I'm a big fan of the Bundesliga. So for us who then like this Farmers League accusations that we always have to do, it was brilliant to see that the Farmers League uh, beat back the Empire had uh, zurückgeschlagen. When Rafa is talking German, I have to do it as well. But, uh, <laughs> but the thing is, the distilling has a lot of things missing in Dortmund. Yes, I, I've, I've had the arguments of, of this, but there is something. At the moment, there are seven points behind, not Bayern, there are seven points behind the new challenger, because we all know at the end Bayern will win, but there are seven points behind Leverkusen. And Dortmund, it's still, although we can say Terzic has done this, Terzic has done that, there is something in and around the club that I don't like. There is a lack of winning DNA. And I I don't want to go on this bandwagon that we only praise Dortmund because there's something wrong in the kingdom of Dortmund. Absolutely. Because... As, as for last season, as it's so typical, they just needed to win against Mainz at home. No, of course they didn't. They then just gave Tuchel a, a trophy. Bayern winning again. And yes, I think Terzic is, is, a, is a good coach. I think Terzic is doing the right, the balance in, the, in these two games especially. And they've been kind of constant in, in, in the league, although they are behind. But, but still... This winning DNA of Dortmund, mind you, and if I, I will end my conclusion of that, is that 
When Bellingham left, Bellingham goes to Real Madrid and will know probably with, with Erling Haaland be the favorite to win Ballon d'Or, be the best player in the world. When he left, of course, there were then voices out of Dortmund saying, yeah, but the, wasn't there something wrong with Bellingham? Didn't he, when, when he was praised after game, didn't he do an extra round? There was some reaction to him in the dressing room. So F what? That is what Bayern doing all the time. They have five or six players doing that. This is what you need to, to create a football club, not to make like a social community in Dortmund. So I think that winning DNA, although they have an advisor like Matthias Sama, they're not delivering. Rafa? Yeah, I, I disagree a little bit with Jan here because, of course, it was the mother of all chokes uh, against Mainz, mm. yes, and we can't, we can't sugarcoat that. But uh, ultimately, they lost the, the, the Bundesliga not because of what happened against Mainz, but because they're terrible terrible first half of the season i think they had 30 points which is just ridiculous so if we start in 2023 the calendar year i think they've had the consistency they've had up until last week the best points per games in the top five leagues they were ahead of manchester city uh, in the league so i don't think we can say they're not winning enough games what we can say is that they cannot live with the quality of bayern munich they would play Bayern Munich a hundred times. May I say, just may I say, just a small hit. They are four points ahead of Eintracht Frankfurt. Eintracht Frankfurt who lost Muani and have a Dino Topmuller, an inexperienced coach. They are four points ahead of Eintracht Frankfurt. Says the former Frankfurt player. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I cannot argue with a with a table, but but the numbers also don't lie. I mean, their consistency has been very very impressive, and that's without the superstar players that they had over the last few years. This is more of a collective team now. You'd struggle to take one player and say he is the player that makes Dortmund tick. Maybe Julian Brandt, but not the same level that Haaland, that Bra that um, Bellingham or that uh, Sancho did before. And they've also changed their transfer strategy. We still have one or two super exciting youngsters in there, but this is more of a team of uh, early 20 years old. Again, they don't have quite the glamour. They don't quite have the upside. You'd struggle to find the next 100 million euro player. Maybe Jamo Bino Gittens might get there, but at the moment, uh, he's still far away from that. And I think they have actually worked on all these things to become more consistent, to become more solid. Will it be enough to catch a Bayern team that performs at their normal level? No, it can never be enough because Bayern are too far ahead. Last year was a historic chance. They should have taken that. They didn't because the first half of the season was abysmal. The second half of the season, since 2023, I think they're playing at their limit. And I would say it's wrong to look at them as not winning enough or lacking mentality. I think that Terzic is actually getting the most out of this team that is possible at the moment. I think what's interesting, so before the before the game on Saturday, I spent a bit of time with Carsten Kramer, the um, co-managing director of Dortmund, and he was talking about the rivalry with Bayern Munich over the past decade. And he said one of the sources of pride of the club is that they've been able to make it into a rivalry despite the kind of the financial differences between the two clubs. And it's quite unusually frank. And it's, it's something you don't really expect to hear from someone at the top of a club. But then if you look through that side and you compare it pound for pound with what Bayern Munich have, I think one of the differences, particularly this season, is that Bayern haven't actually played that well, probably not until Saturday night. And yet they have the this group of individual players in every department of the side who they can lean on, tip that on its head and look at what Dortmund have. And 
there's nothing like the star power. Rafa mentioned Julian Brandt and he can be a wonderful player, no doubt. But um, all the way through the side, you've got like, especially midfield, you've, you've taken one star out of it. And he was a developing star rather than the player who's now playing for Real Madrid. He was he has reached a new level over the past six months. You have by committee replaced an entire department of your side. You are dependent on people like Donny Marlin, who is a good player. He's not Lira Sané, clearly. Um, Karim Adeyemi, who is a going to be a wonderful player, I think, one day, but probably not at Jamal Musiala's level. You're dependent upon Nicholas Fulkrug's goals. And Fulkrug is a wonderful story uh, in German football, no doubt. And his, his personal progress is amazing. But he is not Harry Kane in style or ability. And so in that light, I think the work that Terzic has done... Um, whilst clearly it has its flaws and it's very easy to, to poke holes in it, and I've done it myself. I said, you know, similar after after the Saturday night. But I, th- I think it's a I've got to get away from this idea that Dortmund are the all powerful side that they used to be under Klopp and Tuchel, and they had these kind of pockets of ability. It just doesn't exist anymore. That the star power isn't there, and so I think we need to we need to recategorize what we view as success um, in head coaching performance there. He's someone to kind of continuously reevaluate, if that makes sense. I don't think I have a set opinion of him as a coach, but I, I'm, I'm kind of open-minded performance by performance. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. Hello there, James Richardson here. If, like me, you take an interest in the continental version of the beautiful game, then you should check out the Totally Football Show European Edition. Every Tuesday, I'm joined for the show by James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Julian Laurence and Alvaro Romeo as we cover all the big European stories. Expect all the footballing insight you need on the Totally Football Show European Edition, which you can enjoy for free wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to check out video versions of the show over on our YouTube channel. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I mean, we just spoke about Tursic, but who are the big stars now at Dortmund? I mean, I asked Marcel Sabitzer, who who was he most impressed with as a player? at Dortmund and he sort of didn't give me an answer and he said actually it's more of a collective thing that was quite revealing in a way because if there was a Harry Kane there or a Jamal Musiala perhaps in his technique I'm sure he would have said straight away oh this guy is just world class is unbelievable but Sepp kind of summed it up in a way you had one team with Harry Kane starting up front on Saturday and the other had Niklas Fulkrug and then to expect Dortmund to be somehow on the same level I think it's just not realistic. The Dortmund story in itself, the Dortmund as a club, is an amazing story. How they've developed, 
I was just thinking the other day, I remember when Bellingham made his debut in the Champions League with Lazio away, they put him in the starting eleven. I remember I asked Sork, you put him, this young kid in there. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's why we promised him to do that. We, we, we would play him. And it's a fantastic story. And this is not a matter of how good Terzic is doing his job as at the limited maybe ability with, with the players he got around him. But I, I think that this is the level that Dortmund, we expect Dortmund to be. And I think that is a that is a fair argument. What's the potential of Dortmund? Always to be compared with Bayern is, of course, tough. But what I've done lately is that when you, you don't have the stars, you're so depending on a on a core basis of Hummels, Emre Can and Royce, who have been on a going down in their career, but still somehow now manage to come back to a quite good level. And I think that is a key to them. They're not depending on a Haaland or a Bellingham doing the midfield. So that core is good. I must say, I've, I've been critical of Max Hummels because I, I think sometimes we, we kind of get so impressed by his Außenrist, where he plays with his outside of his foot and he's doing all the Cruyff turns. But last time I checked, it was about defend as well. And he's unbelievably involved in many goals against. But the way he's, he's kind of restarted his career is, uh, is amazing. And with him, with Süle, with Schlotterbeck, my fellow countryman, Rierson, it was a big surprise that he came back. Came from Union Berlin for around 15 million euros. He was not even fixed in the Norwegian national team. But the way he is took into that team, that it has to go back to Terzic as well. So I see that. So maybe we are putting the, the expectations too high, saying that Dortmund should be up there, challenge for him. I think that is just the love we have for German Bundesliga. We are so desperate for a Leverkusen or a Dortmund or a Leipzig to kind of challenge for the title. Mm. I'm just interested in all the conversations around players leaving Dortmund, um, Jude Bellingham classically, and you talked about it earlier, going to Real Madrid and shining there. Can they keep doing this? Most teams do end up losing their best players, but there is a feeling from the outside that if, if you're a decent young player at Dortmund, you shine, you smash it. You're not going to stay there. Um, you're going to go somewhere else. I mean, is this a, a firm enough strategy uh, for, for a club who might want to win the Champions League moving forward or, or the Bundesliga moving forward, Rafa? I think the strategy is changing. As I said, I think they're, they're moving away from having too many of those youngsters, too many of those players who see Dortmund as a stepping stone. But they also know that part of the reason why they get these players in in the first place is because they will not shackle them to a contract for 20 years making 2 million euros. They know that uh, Haaland, a Sancho, uh, a Bellingham, they move there because they know this is a great place to grow as a player. And then you become the superstar three or four years later. Now, of course, Dortmund's strategy is to make those cycles bigger, to keep players longer. Uh, and I think they've made some progress. You know, they, they lost Dembele after, after a year. Uh, and there's a few others where there was a constant kind of noise around them. I think they're trying to do that. But at the same time, the strategy is shifting a little bit to make it slightly more stable, slightly more mature. And I think that is a, is a good way of doing. But they can't get around the fact, as somebody close to Dortmund once said to me, we don't get the top shelf. We get the guys that are just below when it comes to German football and the same internationally. You know, they cannot go to Manchester City and say, you know what, Leroy Sané, you want to go back to Germany, come to us. You're 70 million euros and 20 million euros a year. We'll make your Dortmund play. They can't do it. So they have to work with what they've got and they have to work with 
the second layer. But of course, you can then still criticize them. And I think rightly, if they don't fulfill their potential within that, because there is no reason why they shouldn't be every year the second best team, maybe with Leipzig having a chance there to be, you know, quite as good because of their financial and sort of strategic setup. But there's no reason why Dortmund should have underperformed relative to their own levels over the last 10 years. And I think that is the big problem. But they know that. They know that they had some bad coaches there. They know they made some bad decisions. And I think we're seeing a new strategy evolve. Yeah, as Rafa was saying, because they know good players know they can be great at Dortmund. This is a step. It's not a step to go somewhere where you can win the Champions League. And I know this is uh, unfair because they have won the Champions League. But as is some years ago, they've also been in the final, losing against Bayern Munich, as they did. But this is a stone in anyone's career. It's, it's for a reason that Bellingham even left his country to know that he will develop in Dortmund and then take the next step to Real Madrid. And the same with, with Haaland. If you saw the career of Haaland, if you, if you see the players who have a, a plan for their career, if they have people in and around them, Haaland is a good example. He started at Brynäs in a small, that was his home country, then went to Molde at that time. We, we, that was the developer in Norwegian football. Then going to Salzburg, I got a record, but still a bit below Dortmund. This is a place to go. You know that you will score goals uh, in, in Austria. You know they, they take care of them. They know they have a tradition of developing players. And then all the clubs were desperate to take him from Salzburg. Imagine the Norwegian coach at Manchester United at the time was the guy who was doing finishing with him at Molde at the time. And he couldn't talk him in to go to Manchester United. And, and he went to Dortmund. And the big challenge for, for Dortmund is, of course, try to win something as they're there, which they normally do. They can win the cup. That is up for grab. Up for grab this season as well, after they went out in Saarbrück and Bayern Munich. So... They have created that uh, environment to develop players. But I, I, as Rafa is, is, is touching on, I, I guess this is very frustrating for Dortmund because they hope when they have these kids, they, they try to mix it up with experienced players. Maybe they could chase the title. Maybe they could take the title, and which is so annoying what happened last season because then they could have taken the next step. Now you can say to players, come to us. It's a part of the development. You can't say that, but but you have to say really. But you you don't want you won't win the Champions League or you win win a title. But you you can stay here to develop. The funny thing is, if you look at Dortmund's production of young players over the past decade, that is not a particularly steady supply. Now, yes, they've become very good at signing, developing young players from elsewhere, bringing them in in a kind of Holland Bellingham Sancho type situation. But in terms of creating their own players now. Um, I don't see a Mario Goetze on the horizon at the moment, uh, for instance. I would look at that Dortmund squad and wonder where the next really exciting player, not the next very good one, not the next um, you know, solid, dependable first team who, who might be worth 20, 30 million euros one day. There isn't really another Sancho, Bellingham, Haaland type that I see. Uh, maybe I'm not looking deep enough. but They, they are convinced that Jamie Bynogittens will be as good. Really? That's really interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sure they're right. It's just that I, I suppose he's kind of a little bit of a victim of, of his injury record and his inability to stay healthy. And he, he certainly looked a very good player. But it's, uh, it's interesting. It's going to be something that's kind of interesting over the next five years. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. Right, let's let's talk about Dortmund as as a club in, te- in terms of their business model. And we've sort of spoken about it loosely, but Rafa, I, I want to talk about you know that go back to the Champions League win a- a- against Newcastle. You know, I guess new money of Newcastle comparative uh, to, to Dortmund. Can you tell us a little bit about those protests that were happening in the stands um, from the Dortmund fans? Yeah, the protests were not directed at uh, Newcastle as such, but at the um, UEFA uh, reforms of the Champions League. Uh, Dortmund fans always very wary about changes. They protested also against um, the uh, Bundesliga bringing in an external investor to uh, basically mortgage some of the TV rights to then use that money to invest it into the digitalization and the product. And they're all they're often very antagonistic about these changes. And this is one that they feel just speaks to UEFA agreed to just more games, more money, but at the same time diluting the uh, experience of uh, the competition and so on. I mean, I'm always a little bit ambivalent, uh, shall we say, because I think that uh, probably in uh, 1991, 92, if uh, organized fans in the Bundesliga had been as political then, they would have probably protested against the Champions League, um, expanding into a Champions League and would have thought that was a disaster for football. And without that, you know, Dortmund would have, never won, uh, probably never won the Champions League and certainly not made it to um, regularly to, to such uh, amazing experiences as we saw as we saw yesterday. But this, this is their position. It's not going to change. And it's one that's being shared by a lot of the other organised fan groups in Germany. Mm. Is, is there a feeling um, from the Dortmund fans who operate in a very different way, I guess, and the club runs in a very different way in comparison to, you know, what would be emerging as a a new money club like, like Newcastle to actually get that win. Is there a little pride in there to say, quote unquote, I don't want to say it that way, with the real football, you're, you're, you're not the real footballist to say. I mean, I did a piece in The Athletic before the group stage where I explained that Dortmund felt like they're standing alone in this group. You have two petrodollar states, who own the clubs. You have an American hedge fund who, who run AC Milan. And then you have Dortmund, who are actually a PLC. You know, there is shares you can buy and sell, and there's a lot of commercialization, commercial pressures as a result. But they still have the fan ownership as far as the way the club, the overarching uh, um, entity run is being concerned. And the club, of course, runs the PLC. And if they don't like somebody, if... Hans-Jochen Watzke is doing a bad job. If the president is not liked, then the fans have a real say that goes beyond just voting with their wallets. And that's something that's very precious to them. And they feel that uh, it's worth 
worth standing for, even if it diminishes your chances of sporting success. It's it's quite interesting these uh, debates around the real football, and I. It's always a discussion. Well, what's a real football club? You know, I put those in quotation marks I know, I know. because what is real football, right? But I, I like that because it's an interesting discussion. Remember. Back in the days when financial fair play was done, that was the real football club who wanted that. The real football club that wanted the status quo, that they should be the only clubs that should be wealthy and let's keep on winning without these new clubs, new football clubs coming into it. Uh, I also, with the Super League, we, we tend to forget that was also the real old clubs. Uh, that, that Some of them wanted that as well. And then after two minutes, they turn around and say, wow, terrible, terrible, terrible. And it's also, it's interesting to see in Germany because the fan groups are quite powerful here. I like the, a club, this 50 plus one rule, that is another uh, podcast worth. But I'm just saying that the, the 50 plus one rule makes that you feel you, you are involved in the club. For me, to say that someone owns the club, like we do say in England, I don't like that quote at all because a club is not owned by anyone. A club is owned by the fans anyway, or the tradition, the family, your grandfather who took you the first time to a club. They are the real owners of a club. But then you have the money taken into the club. Financial fair play started with they were afraid that people took money out of the club. And then it turned around to be the problem that money was going into the club. So this discussion is so, so big then. And make it then even more complicated, I think, which is interesting to reflect on. If you see it, um, this is no uh, exact uh, science, but if you see the two oil and gas uh, clubs in England, Manchester City and Newcastle, they are probably the best run clubs in England. They are having the management in and around the Newcastle bringing in a, a head of sport, new CEO, head of, of, of marketing. And, and again, there's no definition who is the best run club. But it's interesting to see the development of football club. And that's why Bayern are ahead also of Dortmund, because it's a be better run football club. Yeah, I must say Manchester City do have quite a few allegations hanging over their head at this moment. No, 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 but I'm not meaning that. I'm not meaning, no, 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 no. But, but that, that is why that discussion is so hard. I'm not uh, talking about the allegations. The allegations is there. So I define best run club is to make a set of things, the management in and around the club. The allegations will live its own life and they will be hopefully, whatever happens, whatever club will be have these allegations, there are certain places that is to be done. But but still, the setup of clubs now is quite interesting. It's quite interesting following international football at the moment. The small thing that Rafa is putting in there, that Dortmund is uh, uh, protesting at everybody. Then we say, yeah, but you're a PLC. You, you have the money commercialized as well. So very interesting to follow, I think. Well, it's it's an interesting one because I, I think the answer to the question depends on everybody's individual personality. Uh, it's my perspective. I'm not telling anybody else what to think. I despise state ownership in football. I think it's counter to the spirit of the game. Uh, what I want from the game, different to what you know other people do, but I, I feel like football's at its best when it becomes an expression of locality and where a fan does have agency with their club rather than... I mean, I, I, we, we've talked about it a little bit, but if you compare... The difference, one of the differences between German and English football. In English football, if an owner, quote unquote owner, makes a decision which is unpopular with the fans, there's very much a kind of and what attitude towards it, right? Like, you don't like it, well, you know, go somewhere else then. In Germany, you don't get that opportunity. I, I've just been doing some work on um, the uh, DFL, Deutsche Football, uh, Fußball Ligas, 
uh, relationship with the NFL. And obviously the NFL's international series depends upon exporting NFL games, regular season NFL games, into Europe, to the UK of the past uh, goodness, uh, 16 years, maybe 17 years, uh, and Germany since 2022 in Munich and Frankfurt uh, last weekend. German club could never take a Bundesliga regular season game and take it elsewhere because of the response to the fans, because you're betraying, in their eyes, what the club is supposed to represent. And I, I kind of like that because, like you said, I, I football is... Uh, about memories, about that time you went with your granddad, your grandmother, your mother, your father, your sister, brother, whatever, right? And I think one of the key ingredients there is that it serves interests of kind of like-minded people, not necessarily local people, because it doesn't have to be that way, but people who, who think about the game in the same way and who also can use football. And we've seen a really good example of that this last night as a way of uh, expressing something whether it be a distaste for Champions League reform or a social problem. I live in Ham- Hamburg, so you know I, I, I get a pretty good view on some of the messaging around uh, that comes from St. Pauli and some of their causes. But that's not just a St. Pauli thing or even a German football thing. You see this everywhere and you'd be hard-pressed to go to any German stadium on a match day um, in any really of the top uh, couple of divisions and not see an expression of something. And this is really, really important in, in society. And so I, I will always fall on that side of it. I'm not telling anybody else that they must do also, but that's just my opinion. I, I feel like when I step into a stadium and I feel that kind of stuff, I gravitate towards it more than when it when I know it's just a, a kind of an exercise in uh, soft power or um, making money. Yeah, I just completely understand that. Um, let's let's finish on this. Um, Dortmund are firmly at the top, well, by point at least, uh, of the Champions League group. Um, can they make it out of this group, Rafa, um, PSG Milan uh, still? Well, they haven't given themselves a huge chance. One win out of the next two games was going to be enough for them. That's a great position to be in. It's not going to be that easy in this group. But um, if they don't make it now, it'll be a disappointment because they, they have uh, really, with a six points against Newcastle, to put themselves in a wonderful position. Yeah. Well, I, would I say I hope so? But uh, I, I got a great affection of, of Dortmund, got a great affection of the 81,000 people in the stadium, the yellow wall and everything. It's, it's a fantastic... I made my debut in German football there. A great, great memory at uh, uh, at Dortmund. Uh, what a group anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm also uh, the, the Knights, the European Knights at... At St. James's has always been legendary there. But I think, like Rafa's saying, the two wins now change it around. And not only that they got the six points, but the way they found the balance, especially the away game at St. James's, they kind of controlled that that game. So so I think that that they, they will go through. And um, it, it will be now a disappointment if, if Bayern is the only team going through from, uh, from, uh, from... Leipzig now going through as well. So... It's not a good for the brand of Dortmund if they're playing uh, Molde away in the Europa League. <laughs> yeah, the kingdom of Dortmund, Seb. Uh, they, they, need to, they need to reign, right? They need to reign in the Champions <laughs> League once more. Where did this quote come from? This is this my is quote. Shakespeare. There is something wrong in the kingdom of Denmark. Uh, <laughs> I know that quote, Jan. <laughs> I, I, I'm scanning my mind to think, have I, have I dropped this into an article and I've completely forgotten about it? Like I said, this, this, these are my words. So no. No, I, I had it quite early. You didn't listen. You were, you were preparing to have a go at me. <laughs> I, 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 I've only had three quarters of a coffee this morning and it's German coffee, so it's not that strong at the moment. <laughs> 
All right, let's leave it there, Seb. I don't think you actually answered my question, but Seb, Jan, Rafa, thank you so much for your time. And don't forget, you can rate and review us as well. Speak to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great athletic football podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.